Uh, scripture is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, reading into chapter 3 through verse 3. So follow then as I read this for you. It is God's holy word. Now little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. Thus far, God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. Heavenly Father, bless this Word now to our understanding. We pray that uh, we might have something to share with others as well as to follow closely upon it ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've seen thus far in our study of 1 John that John likes to use the term children when he addresses the Christians of the ancient Near East. Now, mostly these people live in what we would call Western Asia Minor. That was John's area of service for the most part. But he has written in such a way that it was for all the Christians as the letter would be passed around and sent to, to different places, and even, of course, has come down through the ages to us here. Uh, he looks upon those who would receive this letter as a spiritual father. He's their, their spiritual father in the sense that uh, either he has brought the gospel to them or their spiritual well-being, their welfare, has been turned over to him so that he would act as a father toward them in things regarding the Word of God and the Christian life. And so uh, he, does in right, uh, he does right to instruct them and to protect them from the heretics and the con men that have arisen to trouble the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would do well to listen today also. In our passage, the Apostle makes a significant transition. That is to say, he begins with this pastoral word, little children, as he's done before. But he moves boldly then to speak about the children of God. So that while in many ways he is their spiritual father, he nevertheless acknowledges that uh, there is a, a greater Father, the Heavenly Father, uh, the Father, first person of the Trinity. Uh, there is a, a Father who uh, has a broad eternal purpose that He's working out for these people. And part of His responsibility then is to help them understand more and more how they are children of God. And uh, he, he has this wonderful uh, phrase that he, he uses, the sentence, we are the children of God. And includes himself, of course, in that as well. 
So that uh, John's role is actually that then of an overseer of children. Not, of course, real children in the sense that everybody's a little child, but uh, in the sense that everyone is considered a child of God and thus under God's purpose and control. Now, we are children of God in three ways, actually. We're children of God by creation. And everybody in the world can say that. I'm a child of God because God made me. Uh, But then we're also uh, children of God by adoption. Uh, God has taken us who are not His people and made us His people by His own declaration. And that uh, declaration of adoption goes very closely with the new birth, with being uh, uh, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are believers then have been adopted into the family of God. That's the second way. And the, the third way is by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this is a very wonderful thought that, that we should always keep in mind that uh, we are related to each other and we are related to God through the Holy Spirit. And that's a real relationship. It's not an imagined one. It's not that just we're pretending that we're, we're children of God in some fashion, but we really are children of God because... His Spirit lives in us. We live in Him. And uh, one of the interesting uh, expressions that John uses here, it's it's not really translatable into English, but uh, when we read what what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, uh, really the word there is just what. It's like uh, there's just not words to express how marvelous it is that we are called the children of God. Or... Uh, as John might say if he were in living in our times, wow, wow. There just aren't words to express what it means that God has bestowed upon us His love to the point that we are the, the uh, children of God. So I'd like to talk to you this morning about uh, the children of God are born of Him. That's one of the phrases that he uses here in the passage. Everyone that is born of Him, born of God. And then I want to speak on the fact that the children of God have a rendezvous with destiny. I'll give you a little more on that in a moment. The children of God are in the process of leaving the world behind. That's our third point. And then finally, the children of God will benefit from an amazing transformation. They they will never lose their status as children of God, but we will be transformed, which makes our position as children of God even more wonderful than it already is. Alright, let's start with uh, the children of God are born of Him. And let us say first of all that... uh, the children of God, those who are truly His children, not just by creation, but uh, by adoption and by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, these are the objects of an eternal love. In other words, before the foundation of the world, God set His love on His children. And I think that's uh, certainly evident there in that first verse of chapter 3, uh, where, well, the way they've written it here, and I 
I'm not sure why, is that uh, that this really in, she has it in verse 29. It says, "See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. When when did He bestow that love on us? When we did something? When we merited that love? No, uh, that love was bestowed again in eternity, before the world began. And uh, so we are we are the children of God because we're born of Him, uh, based on the love that He expressed." Uh, beyond uh, creation, beyond anything that, that we can understand even in all eternity. And then, uh, when time did begin, well, these uh, children of God became the beneficiaries of new birth. These uh, children of God became the uh, people that, that God sent His Holy Spirit to to work in them uh, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, desire to know God and, and follow Him. And uh, that then would lead to conversion. It's very important to get the order of things straight. A God who before the foundation of the world bestowed His love upon us, then in time sent His Spirit to us, and the Spirit working in us brought about our conversion. That is, we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and came into the newness of, uh, of life in that way. So that uh, the, the, the greatness of God's love is more than just to say God loves you. Uh, sometimes evangelists just to say God loves you, He has a wonderful plan for your life and so forth and so on. But it's much broader and much deeper and much greater than uh, most of us can even conceive as I hope I've, I've expressed to you. And then because we are born of Him, born of God, we have an inclination within us toward righteousness. Now, we're not perfect yet, but that is God's intent that we should be someday. But for, for us as we live now, we have an inclination to do what pleases God. And when we don't do it, we feel sorrowful about it. This is not the way I want to live. This is not what I want my life to be. I want to please God. Well, that's the new heart saying, uh, I'm going to... to Come forth. I'm going to be the controlling power. I'm going to uh, to take you where you should go, rather than that old sinful nature saying, "No, you're not. I'm taking you the other way." You have this inclination toward righteousness, toward pleasing God. And then those who are born of God have confidence and assurance. And uh, the apostle talks here about having confidence. In the Lord, right in the 28th verse of chapter 2, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him at His coming. Uh, the fact is that uh, if you're born of God, you, you grow in confidence in, in knowing where you belong and who you are. And uh, if you have some question, well, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? And the Holy Spirit begins to work on those who are born of God and say, yes, you are. You belong to God. And you can't do this. And you must do that because you're not your own. God has claimed you for Himself and of course has given Christ to pay for your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. So the children of God, those who are born of Him, have confidence and assurance and having that confidence and assurance, the last thing we want to say, it's verse 3 here, it says that we have this hope. Whoever has this hope fixed upon Him purifies himself and so forth. But we have hope. And hope 
in the, in the way the Scripture describes it, is not just wishful thinking. Hope means that you know something is coming. You know it's going to happen. You know there's no doubt about it. And so that's the way you live. You know what's coming. You have that hope within you. So that's our first point uh, today. We are the children of God because we're born of Him. He loved us. He brought us to faith in Christ. He inclined us to righteousness. He gives us assurance and fills us with hope. What a wonderful thing, John says. All these uh, heretics and people are coming to you and tell you this and that and the other thing. They can't deliver what God delivers because you're born of Him. Okay, secondly, the children of God have a rendezvous with destiny. Who knows where that phrase comes from? Anybody here? You know where that phrase comes from? Well, I don't know absolutely that it was the first time it was ever used, but it was used by Franklin Roosevelt when he accepted the uh, nomination for president in, in 1936. And that was way before I was born. But uh, he, he, in giving his speech, he, he used this sentence. He said, This generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. Well, God's people have a rendezvous with destiny. Now, sometimes we, we use the term predestination. All that means is, is that your destiny has been set. God has a destiny for you and you have a rendezvous with that, uh, that destiny. The, the children of God have a destiny to walk with God now and to walk with Him forever. And uh, you'll recall how John has used that term walk before. Uh, he's, he said, uh, if, you, if you want to walk with one another and with Him, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. That's 1 John 1.7. And he's also said you can't say that you walk with the Lord, that you have fellowship with the Lord, if you don't love your, your brother or your sister. So our destiny is to walk with God and then we could add to walk with one another too, but to walk with God now and, and forever. Our destiny also is to meet Christ at His coming. Uh, the word He uses here is parousia, which is an interesting Greek word. It means by itself just presence, but when you, you put it in the context of Christ and His life and His death and resurrection and ascension and so forth, He's coming again. And uh, He will be present again. In other words, it's a renewed presence. Now, He's present by the Holy Spirit, of course. But He's going to be bodily, physically present with us again someday at the end of time. And our destiny is to meet Christ at that point. Uh, the Apostle Paul said that uh, we, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And uh, if you've already passed on and, and are waiting for the resurrection, well, you'll come with Him, but there'll be one great meeting someday when His presence is felt. And this is, of course, also pointing to, to our resurrection. That's the destiny of believers, to be raised from the dead after the manner of Christ. And uh, then the kind of the apex, the high point of this destiny is victory. Is, is the 
the fact that uh, we have conquered with Christ, or maybe better said, He has conquered and He's invited us to join in that celebration. Now here uh, in these uh, opening days of August, you know that this was the, the time when the atomic bomb was dropped on uh, Hiroshima. That was The date was yesterday. And then again, of course, uh, another bomb was dropped on the 9th. But that all led to victory. Everybody celebrated victory. You all seen those uh, pictures of people in, in Times Square and other places hugging and kissing and celebrating. A uh, great victory uh, that was won. So the, the apex is that great victory celebration that's coming someday. And uh, it's victory over sin. It's victory over uh, death. It's victory over the devil. It's victory. And that's our destiny. Victory. The, the apex, the high point of it. And uh, then the conclusion of this destiny, and maybe conclusion isn't the very best word, but uh, the, the conclusion would, would be eternal life in heaven. Uh, the victory having been won, then we enter into the, the great new world, the new heavens and the new earth that God has prepared for His people. That's, the, that's our conclusive destiny, if you will. Now, I, I just referenced the end of World War II and all the celebration, but then uh, as soon as all that celebration was over, well, people went back to, to having trouble again. Uh, there, there was a, uh, more war in the world. Uh, Korea came along and Vietnam came along. And uh, now, more recently, uh, the warfare in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and so forth. And well, that was a victory, yes, and it was celebrated, and, and rightly so, but it didn't end the troubles in the world. But this one will. The victory of Christ is a celebration of, uh, of everything that uh, will continue on and just get better and better. And uh, with that is then the expectation that uh, we will serve our Heavenly Father. He's our Father. He's the one that uh, has made us and taken us to Himself and given us of His Spirit. And we want to serve Him. And what will we do? Well, that's not all clear. But believe me, there will be plenty to do in the, in the new heavens and the new earth. So the expectation is, uh, having reached this destiny of life in heaven, it's going to be uh, full of purpose and no hindrances, no sin, no handicaps to keep us from serving God like we want to. So, the children of God have a rendezvous with destiny. I hope you will keep that phrase in mind, not because Roosevelt said it, but because it's what God has promised you. Then thirdly, the children of God are in the process of leaving the world behind. Now, I've talked to you about that word world before, cosmos. It just means the, the system, the way of life, of the world. You, you've heard, I'm sure, many times, well, that's the way of the world. Usually in connection with some disappointment or some trouble that's come along and they say, well, that's the way of the world. But uh, that's all going to be left behind. Abiding in Him, you see, instead of what? Instead of the world system. The first words he uses in verse 28, little children abide in Him. And that is in contrast that is the opposite of abiding in the world. When you abide in the world, you go along with the world, you enjoy the world and all of its pleasures and all the 
the sinful things that go on. Uh, but uh, God says, no, I want you to abide in Me. And if you're My child, then you won't abide there in the unbelief, but you'll abide in Me. You'll abide in Christ. So, the children of God are in the process of leaving the world behind by abiding in Him and not abiding in the world. Then, uh, the children of God are practicing righteousness instead of what? Instead of worldliness. The, uh, the, the practice of righteousness is most often not what the world is practicing. Even if the world is doing some right things, they nevertheless have the wrong motives behind it. But in, in the case of God's children, they say, I'm doing this to please God. I'm practicing righteousness. I'm not practicing worldliness. Whether it's, it's the most decadent kind of worldliness or even the sort of good deeds of the world, the point is that if you're a child of God, then you are practicing those things that you know pleases God. He's your Father. And then uh, it means also that uh, we're working to please God instead of pleasing the world. We want to, to do the things that make God happy. And that may sound kind of funny to us. You mean uh, that, that God is, is somehow reactive and, and becomes happy? Well, maybe mysteriously, but that's, that's true. That God becomes happier with us when we obey Him. When we seek to please Him than when we're trying to please the world. And again, uh, and it goes along with worldliness, but the, the world comes to us and says... Uh, we want you to do this. We want you to behave in, in certain ways. The Apostle Paul, uh, when he's writing to, uh, to believers who are facing uh, the, the, uh, the casting off, the disgust of the world toward them, uh, he, he says that the, the world will never accept you. The world will, will never applaud you and receive you if you actively try to be the child of God. And so we're working to please God and not to please the world. The world says, don't you want to, to come along and uh, follow us? And I, one of the phrases that's used in our riotous living. And we say, no, we don't. We're, we're trying to please God. We want to be glorious, happy, happy and excited and part of, of uh, the, the joy and celebration, but of God and not of the things of the world. And then uh, he, he says, we don't want to be ashamed when Christ comes again, when that parousia, that renewed presence comes about. Uh, we don't want to be ashamed under those circumstances. And so that, uh, again, you have a contrast of, of feeling ashamed about something else. Should we ever feel ashamed? Well, yeah, we should feel ashamed if we are falling short of what God would have us to be. We should, we should, be, we should feel ashamed if we're letting the world take too much of a grip upon us. We're ashamed when we slip and fall. Now, we find forgiveness and deliverance from that, of course, but uh, how much better not to be ashamed of serving the Lord. And uh, if there's any shame uh, to be involved, it is that uh, the, we, we, we are not accepted by family or we're not accepted by business or we're not accepted by governments or whatever because we belong to the Lord. So what the world says, aren't you ashamed about? We say, no, that's something that we glory in, that we're happy about. Pursuing purity instead of pollution and contamination. Uh, right again, that last verse that we read, verse 3 of chapter 3, said, whoever has this hope fixed on him purifies himself 
just as He is pure. Well, how do we know about purification? Because we take the Word of God, we read what God expects, what, what God wants, and we say, Holy Spirit, help me to follow that path, to, to be in that way. So the children of God are in the process of leaving the world behind. And then finally, the, the children of God will benefit from an amazing transformation. Notice how he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, it has not yet appeared what we will be. Well, that suggests a transformation, you see. Now, we've already been transformed by the new birth. We have a new heart. Uh, We live differently from the world. But uh, when the resurrection comes, we're just going to be completely transformed. We'll be the same person identifiably. That is to say, I'll still be Don Buchanan. You'll still be whatever name you have. You'll still be that person, but transformed to be more and more like God. And that's the perfection that we said we hope we'll have someday. We don't have it yet, but we want to have it. It has not yet appeared what we will be. But it says, again, verse 2, we will be like Him. And he's speaking of Jesus at that point. We will be like Him in just about every way that that you can think. But certainly, uh, in in terms of our mindset, in in our view of things, we'll be like Him. Uh, We will see Him as He is. And the the Apostle here seems to suggest that that seeing Jesus somehow will result in our our being transformed. But I think what he means there is that when when we see Him, we'll know at last we have arrived. At last, the old has passed away and the new has come. Uh, we, we enjoyed a, a, that partially before, but now it's complete. When we see Him as He is, we'll know that uh, He sees us as He has always wanted us to be. And that we then are, are never again going to, to fail the Lord, but always be as He is in our own lives. But let me add one thing to it, and it and, and doesn't say that here, but I think it's implied, and that is it does not yet appear what we will do. First he said, does not yet appear what we will be, but uh, it does not yet appear what we will do. And that's why I said earlier, we don't know all the things that, that God uh, has already prepared and, and designed and directed about that future that's coming. But what a wonderful uh, thing it will be to find that out. Uh, for the Lord to say, now, now you're different. Now you're more like Christ. And now here's what you're going to do because of that. Does, does not yet appear what we will do. Well, whatever we are, or whatever we do, the purpose of that will be the glory of God. Because that's why we were made. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him victoriously forever and ever. And that's what uh, lies ahead for the children of God. We are the children of God. We've been born of Him. We have a rendezvous with destiny. We're leaving the old world behind. And we're entering into that transformative situation when we will be like Him. Isn't that a wonderful thought today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for these promises and this uh, reminder of who we are. And we pray, Lord, that uh, You will help us even now to be more and more like what we will be. 
even if we can't achieve perfection in it. But help us to always identify ourselves in this way. We are the children of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.